0: Anyways, I'm excited to be here. I I was a little surprised. I was like, wow, they really like me. I was just there in December. <laughs> um, but I love being here. I love you guys. I love your leaders. Matt and Sarah are absolutely amazing. You guys are so blessed to have them. Um, they're just so sweet and so amazing and they're so... I just love getting to see them at the conference and everything. So you guys are blessed. <laughs> I hope you really appreciate the gems they are because they do such a good job leading you guys. Yeah, give them a round of applause. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> so uh, when I was talking to Sarah about what she's looking at and what, or what her and Matt are thinking about or what you guys have been talking about, she told me you're talking about relationships. Is that true? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was petrified when she told me that. <laughs> because I'm not married. I don't have kids. My only experience with relationships is uh, my parents and my friends, my siblings. (laughs) So I was like, (laughs) you sure? (laughs) Um, So I've done nothing but study relationships for the past few weeks, if I'm completely honest. (laughs) So I dove into the Bible and was like, God, what can I tell these people about relationships? <laughs> and uh, he came through. Amen. <laughs> um, so I was actually looking at Matthew 22, uh, 36. And it's the part in the story where uh, one of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus and he's trying to trick him because they want to put him in jail and they want to kill him. Um, and so he's trying to get him to basically speak blasphemy. And so he's like, Jesus, rabbi, tell us, um, the, the, the best commandment, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus, knowing they're trying to trick him, he says, um, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second, it is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we've all heard that verse like a thousand times, you know, love God, love people, that's it. Um, But when I was reading it, I was like, there's actually a third element to that. And so I want to talk about loving God, loving people, but then I also want to talk about loving yourself, because I think in order to have good balance in your life and in any relationships, um, I'm 28, I don't know a ton about this stuff. I'm hoping by the time I'm 60, I've got some of it down, (laughs) but the one thing. Thanks. (laughs) But the one thing I do see and the one thing I do know is that life is about balance, and it's about having healthy, um, full relationships. And I believe um, having a relationship with God, having a relationship with others, being your spouse, your siblings, your family, your friends, your stranger down the street, the guy you meet at the gas station, you mean anyone. And then a healthy relationship with yourself is is vital to life. And it's what keeps us... um, healthy and strong because if one of those is out of whack the other two are going to get out of whack and so you've got to make sure you're always keep tending those gardens in a sense and keeping those relationships healthy and strong and so i want to start with god because that's the first one he lists it says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and that's actually jesus quoting deuteronomy six because it's said again in Deuteronomy 6. (laughs) Um, And so when when you look at that verse, what it actually means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, um, I think that can get a little confusing sometimes because you think, well, okay, my heart loves him and my mind loves him. And it's like, what does he actually mean by that? And what's fascinating is um, the Jews viewed uh, philosophy very different than we did. Um, They weren't they didn't have any Greek influence. They didn't have any Roman influence. And so they, they viewed things slightly differently. And so for them, the heart was actually their brain. I know that sounds weird, but they didn't actually have cadavers and they didn't cut people open and they didn't realize they had one of these. So for them, their heart was where all their thought and reason came out. And the, Greek, in the uh, Hebrew word for heart is lev, it's spelled with a B, so it's L-E-B, but it's lev. <laughs> um, and that's where they thought with. They thought you thought and you felt things with your heart, mainly thinking, all your reasoning. Your emotions came from your heart too, but a lot of your thinking and your reasoning came from your heart. So when the Bible says to love the God, love the Lord with all your heart, that's what they're referring to. And then when it says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, soul was actually interesting too. Because in our thinking, when we hear the word soul, we think we're body, soul, and spirit, right? And our soul is our mind, will, and emotions, which is close, but to an ancient Jew, that w- would kind of been the case, but not quite. It would have actually been your soul is um, everything about you, which is kind of broad. But it, it's, it's, it's your emotions, it's, it's your attitudes, it's your passions, your desire, and it's your physical body. And what's interesting is animals can have souls as well because they're living beings. Um, it, it means, uh, breath. It means blood because your life blood is within you. And so soul meant all these things. And so when they were saying to love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might or your mind as the, as we've switched it to English to refer it better, um, they met with every aspect of you, with your heart, with all your thinking, with all your reasoning, and with your soul, with every fiber of your being. Everything you do, all your actions, everything you do is meant to love God. And what I think is so fascinating is is, is that we've kind of, um, when, you, when you look at that, when you look at what it truly means to love God with everything within you, I think that's hard for us sometimes. When I've done something wrong or I've sinned or I just feel doubt or anger or confusion in some way. Sometimes God isn't the first person I want to go to. Anyone ever feel that way? (laughs) Oh good, I'm not alone. (laughs) Um, he's, He's sometimes not and yet the Bible clearly says he is supposed to be the first person we go to in any, in all situations. And I think biblically, David gives us a beautiful representation of this. And I actually want to read um, Psalms 51, and it's a little bit long, um, and I'm going to give you some backstory for it, but I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Guys, I love this Bible. I just got it on Wednesday. You should all get one. <laughs> it's only the New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, because they haven't translated the whole thing yet. But it's, it's just so good, and I love reading out of it. Um... But I want to read Psalms 51 because it's, it is when David is caught in adultery and it's when um, he's murdered Uriah. So you probably, you probably know the story, David, um, he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He goes, wow, I want to sleep with her. So he does, <laughs> um, he commits adultery and then gets her pregnant. And when he can't cover up the pregnancy and get her husband to sleep with her, he sends him off to battle and gets him killed not his greatest moment ever. Um, but he gets called out later on when she's pregnant and um, around the time she's had the child or something like that. Nathan, the prophet shows up and convicts David and says, you've done wrong. Um, you need to know it. You can't, you cannot. He calls him out and he says, you have sinned and fallen short. Um, and so David writes Psalms 51 after this encounter with david after he's been called out after he he's he's been caught and he can no longer hide his sin and i think it's a beautiful representation of of just his heart towards god and so i just want to read portions of it maybe all of it we'll see how it goes sound good good. all right so psalms 51 god give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness I know your abundant love is enough to waste away my guilt because your compassion is so great. Take away this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you, and you saw it all. Against you and you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner since birth, and from the moment my mother conceived me, I know that you delight to set your truths in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom purify my conscience make this leper clean again wash me in your love until i am pure in heart satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return the places within me you have crushed will rejoice in your healing touch hide my sins from your face erase all my guilt by your saving grace create a new clean heart within me fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires ready to please you may you never reject me May you never take from me your sacred spirit. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I will show to the guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back to to you, knowing you will forgive them. Oh God, my saving God, deliver me fully from every sin, even the sin that brought the blood guilt. Then my heart will be once again thrilled to sing your song, the passionate songs of joy and deliverance. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifice I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. And I love that. I think David is so so, so vulnerable. And so he just throws everything before God. He throws absolutely everything. He approaches him with all his guilt, with all his shame, with his anger, with his doubt, with his fear, his confusion. He just pours out his heart. And I think it's, it's, it's breathtaking because this is the relationship we're called to have with God. When you're struggling And when fear and doubt or anxiety or depression are on you, you should be like David calling out to God and saying, God, this is how I feel. This is what I don't get. Help me, explain it to me. Search my heart, know my ways, fix it. When you've done wrong, you shouldn't be hiding from God in shame and guilt. You should be going before him with everything approaching him without shame, without guilt, because guilt says you've done something wrong. And that's normal. I mean, when I lie or when I screw up or when I make a mistake or when I hold an offense, I feel guilty because I did something wrong (laughs) and I know it. But shame says that you are guilt, that you are, um, you are wrong, that there is something wrong with you. And that's the difference. You can't walk in shame. So if you're ever feeling shame, you bring it to God. And it can be the hardest thing you ever do is to approach God fully with your heart and just be like, this is it. But if you practice that in your life, and if when you find trouble, when, when money is tight, or when you're in a difficult relationship with your spouse or a friend or a sibling, or when you're anxious or fearful, or when life just seems to be going crazy, the first person you should go to is God. He should be instantly the first person you cry out to the first person you tell everything in because that's what he's calling us into he wants to have intimate vulnerable relationship with us he wants us to share absolutely everything our hopes our dreams our confusions our anxieties all the great things the wonderful things and the terrible tragic things we go through he wants to know it all and even though he he knows all and even though he's omniscient and omnipresent sees and hears everything he just wants to share connection with you, and he wants to, he wants to know your heart, and he wants to know what's going on inside of you. And so if this is a practice you establish in your life, it's going to bring you to a whole nother level in relationships. I know one of the things I, I struggle with with my friends, um, I'm a high introvert, very high introvert. I like my alone time. I know it's weird. I'm standing in front of you, and most introverts don't like to public speak. I do. <laughs> Um, but I'm highly introverted, which means I need my alone time to recharge. I prefer to sit and read a book and watch TV and never talk to people. If I didn't have Jesus, I'd be a complete and total hermit. And I'm not kidding. I'd see my family once a month, hang out a few friends once a month, and be perfectly happy. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> but because I have Jesus, and because I have a relationship, I know I'm called to more. And that's the relationship God wants to have with you. He wants to have an ultimate, vo- or intimate, vulnerable relationship with you where you pour out everything. And it's so cathart- uh, cathartic, cathartic, I can't remember that word, sorry. <laughs> um, when you do it, it, it releases something inside of you that just unlocks unlocks things and the amount of my friends who when i'm talking to them because because of my introvertedness god is who i go to first and everything because he's who i trust most he's who i i'm most vulnerable with because i i like him more than people if i'm honest <laughs> and so when i talk to my friends who mainly tend to be extroverts um they're talking to everyone else about their problems and when i'm like have you talked to god about this they're like no and i'm like Why? (laughs) He's so much smarter than me. (laughs) You should really try that. (laughs) And so if you establish that in your life, where when you come against struggle and when you come against difficulties, he's the one you go to first, you're going to find wisdom and security and that joy we were singing about pouring into you so much better than if you just go to people or try to do it on your own. And so when I read Matthew 22, that's what I see. I see the importance of having an intimate relationship with God. And that's how you love God. Because when you love someone, you're intimate and you're vulnerable with them. And that's the relationship God wants to have with you. And so the second one is relationships with people. Because Jesus then said, and the second next to loving God is to love people. And we say that a lot. We say love people. But I think that is the hardest thing, if I'm completely honest. (laughs) Loving people can be hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that might be an understatement. <laughs> um, but loving people is what we're called to do. We're called to love God. And we're called to love people. And I specifically want to focus on the church as a, as a body. So Christians mainly, we're meant to have relationships outside of the church as well. That's, that's normal and that's great. And, it, and it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, you know, preach the gospel into all nations and tell people the good news of the kingdom. Um, but we're also meant to have uh, an abiding fellowship um, with each other. And that can be hard because when you're called into fellowship, you're called to vulnerability, you're called to share, you're called to bless, you're called to be there for people and support people and love people, no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation. And Acts 2, 42, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it really quick. It says, they were continually devoting selves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And that word fellowship is what I want to focus on, because fellowship in the Greek means, is, uh, the word is koinonia, kind of funny i used to go to a homeschool group called koinonia so a bunch of awkward homeschoolers got together and had fellowship (laughs) it's not what it was meant to entail (laughs) but i always thought it was funny (laughs) Um, but koinonia means participation communion fellowship partnership help participation sharing in communion spiritual fellowship and a fellowship in the spirit and so as christians We're meant to have this fellowship that goes beyond anything else. If you have the same type of fellowship you have with fellow believers as you do with non-believers, you're doing it wrong. You have to have, the fellowship you have with the church should look drastically and radically different than the fellowship you have with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because we're called, the, um, the Bible says that our love for one another is what is meant to draw people in. The way you love the person sitting next to you, the person behind you, the person in front of you is supposed to draw people into the church. They're supposed to look at our love, at the way we love each other, the way we care for each other, the communion we have with each other, the way we we, we share and we're generous and, and we partner with each other in our dreams, in our problems, in our struggles, in our hopes, in our finances, in every way is supposed to draw people in because they look at that and they say, I want that. That's amazing. These people are loved. They're cared for. They're, they're nurtured. They lack nothing. The Bible literally says in Acts that the church lacked nothing. Can you imagine sitting in this room and looking around and not one person has lack financially, spiritually, emotionally, that we all come together and we meet each other's needs, the deep pains we have and the burdens we have from hurts and trauma and the the devastation that comes from broken world and the broken people that are in it. But in the church, that's meant to be healed. It's meant to be restored. It's meant to be brought to a whole new level and and i love it in Col- um, colossians 3:12 in the amplified it describes fellowship in a beautiful way so i'm just going to read it to you really quick because this is this is exactly what the church is called to do it's exactly how we're called to love and be in relationship with each other so colossians 3:12 so as god's own chosen people who are holy set apart sanctified for his purpose and well beloved by god himself put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience which has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes with good temper bearing graciously with one another and willingly forgiving each other if one has caused complaint against another just as the lord has forgiven you so you should forgive beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourself in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement. When each one seeks the best for others, let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him. That's the part about having relationship with God. You can't do it without that. Be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace, indeed, you are called as members of one body of believers and be thankful to God always. That is the kind of love we're called to have with one another to walk in kindness, to walk in gentleness, humility, and patience, and forgiveness. I think forgiveness is one of the hardest things for us as, as people. It's so hard when someone hurts you or when someone does something that just rubs you wrong or they seriously hurt you and, and you feel stabbed in the back. It's so hard to walk in forgiveness and to love that person and not to choose to pick up a fence but to ch- put a fence down and say, no, I'm going to love you. I'm gonna walk in forgiveness. I'm gonna walk in joy. I'm gonna walk in peace despite how you treat me. It's one of the hardest things to do. And yet we're called to walk in that type of humility. We're called to walk in that type of forgiveness, that love, that we're supposed to wrap ourselves in unselfish loves where nothing but love is seen on us. Nothing but unselfish love. It's what it is to wrap yourself in it. So it's the only thing people can see on you is an unselfish love. And I love that. I was... um, I was watching uh, a TV show a while ago um, and there's this, these two characters, they're in love, they're married um, and uh, they're kind of fighting and it's a fantasy one. So, you know, they're put in like precarious, terrible situations all the time. But the woman makes this terrible decision and she she gets some people killed. Um, and because she she didn't listen to the advice into what her husband told her to do, which <laughs> is kind of a bad example. But anyways, <laughs> um, but she, she causes problems and she causes drama and people die. Um, and, and they have this big, huge fight. And I remember watching the show and at the end of it, they, they're in the middle of this fight and they're yelling at each other and he's mad because his friends have been killed because of her choices and she's mad because he was telling her what to do and they're having this whole thing. And, but in the end, they figured it out they came together and they said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I love you. Please forgive me. And I remember watching that thinking, that has never happened on television, ever. (laughs) It's like a beautiful thing. And the man had this beautiful quote um, when... Um, after, after they made up and, and he apologized or she apologized and he apologized for his, his mean words because then he said some bad things, um, <laughs> just, you know, normal. Uh, <laughs> they apologized and they made up and he has this, this beautiful quote. She asked forgiveness and I gave it. But the truth is I'd forgiven everything she'd done and everything she could do the day um, before that day for that was no choice. That was falling in love. I, I literally paused the television. I sat there and went, holy crap. Why didn't a Christian do this? We should be writing this. I hope there was a Christian who wrote that because that is the epitome of love. Not only is that what marriage should look like, you have forgiven your spouse for everything they did and would do the day you said I do. The person you're in covenant with you forgave them, the people in this body. You have forgiven them everything they did do and will do because that's what it's called to be wrapped in unselfish love. It's what it's called to be, to be a forgiving church. It's what it's called to walk in compassion, humility, and gentleness. And it is that love that draws people in. It's that love that draws people into the body. It's that love that draws people into the church. And I think that's breathtaking. It's absolutely beautiful. Proverbs 17, 9 says, love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on the failures of others devastates friendship. And that's so true. When you dwell on someone's mistakes, when you dwell on their, their doubts or their, their, the errors they've made or the sins they've committed against you or the fences or the hurts, whatever it is, you devastate that relationship. And devastate literally means to explode, to destroy it's hard to put that back together. So we're called to walk in perfect forgiveness. We're called to walk in, in a, in, in a love and in a joy with each other that changes this world. And that's how we're going to change the world. Not by passing out flyers, not by handing out cookies, not even by worshiping. The greatest way we are going to change this world is by showing people how to love and how to love well and how to forgive and so that's, when I, when I look at Matthew 22 and when Jesus says to love your neighbor, that's what I think of. And that's the kind of relationship we're called to be in. And then the last one, I know it's a little weird because most people just, they read it and you love God and love people, but it does say to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love your neighbor if you don't know how to love yourself. And so loving yourself is part of that weird triune scale or one if, if, if you don't know how to love yourself and it's way down here because you're struggling, God and your relationships with people are going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And things are going to get out of balance and they're not going to be able to stay even like they're supposed to. They're going to look like this and it's not healthy. And so if one of those areas is out of whack, you need to put it Back into whack. And loving yourself is one of the hardest things I think people do. I I think we're really good at loving God. And sometimes, even though it's hard, we're actually pretty good at loving people. But when it comes to me, it's hard to love myself because I know better than anyone else what I've done. I know better than anyone else the drama I carry, the baggage I carry, the the hurts and the trauma and and the damage that's been done to me. And it's so, so hard to undo it it's so hard to get out of that i was talking to a friend um a couple of days ago and and she comes from a traumatic background. She's never had healthy relationships modeled for her. Her parents were a mess, her siblings are a mess. She was a mess and she found Jesus. And, and she's struggling because she has a relationship with God, but she doesn't know how to deal with the drama and, and the trauma and the, and the damage and brokenness that's been inflicted on her since birth. And, and I, mean, I looked at her and I said, love your biggest issue is you don't love yourself. You feel you're broken. You feel you can't be fixed. You feel there's something wrong with you and that has to go away. You can't believe that lie anymore because that's not true. The truth is your identity in Christ and your identity in Christ is that you're chosen, you're loved, you're, you're, you're more than enough, you're a champion, you're conqueror, all that, all that kind of stuff. And just watching tears in her eyes as she's like, crap, I got a lot to deal with. But the truth is she can get out of that. And she can replace those lies with truth. And when she does, her identity is going to come out. And she's going to be able to walk in all that God has for her. And her relationship with God and her relationships with others, which have been so out of whack because she can't deal with herself. Is going to, everything's going to fall into place. And it's going to be this beautiful little triangular scale, which doesn't actually exist. It's a good metaphor. <laughs> I was listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes. He was at Elevation Church. And he was talking to Stephen Furtick. And uh, he, he, he said a, a great quote. He said, one of the most important things you need to do if you're single and you're looking to date or looking to, marri- looking to be married is you got to date yourself. And I went, that is brilliant. I am single, I'm going to date myself. And then I thought about it and I was like, I'm an introvert. I've been dating myself since birth. <laughs> All I do is live inside my head. <laughs> um but as i hang out with my friends i realize a lot of them don't actually know themselves well when they ask me about what i like and what rubs me wrong and what bothers me my pet peeves i can list them off easily i can tell you everything that bothers me about almost everything (laughs) because i think about it a lot But a lot of my friends don't. And I'm always perplexed by that. And I realized it has a lot to do with my introvertedness and that I like to look into my very introspective, less outrospective. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I was like, Bishop T.D. Jakes is right. We all need to date ourselves. You need to sit down, go to a restaurant, start asking yourself the questions you ask your date. And when you have an answer to those, then you can date. <laughs> Then you can have a better relationship in your marriage. Then you can have a better relationship with your kids, with your your best friend, with, with the, your coworker who drives you up walls. You can actually figure out why they drive you up walls. <laughs> um, and so I, I loved that. I love that. It's so important. And we're called to know ourselves. We're called to know who we are. Because God made you unique and he made you beautiful. I think so many times we just think, well, you know, we all should be little robots all lined up in a row and all the same. Cause that's what good Christians are. We, we love and that's it. So we all should look identical, but that's not true. God made you yeah. his spirit. When, when the bible actually talks about the soul the nefesh your soul that's every part of you it's your passions your desires it's 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 your physical being which means god breathed that into you the moment you existed that's the breath of life the uh that god breathed into adam when he was dust and clay in the earth that breath that ruach that um nefesh that spirit that is what god gave you so he gave you your quirkiness he gave you your your oddities he gave you your your hair color he gave you how tall you are he gave you your passions your desires the way you think the way you do way you love people if you're awkward or if you're charming if you're um outgoing or if you're not (laughs) he gave all that to you and he doesn't want you to hide away from that He, he gave you that to you because he wants to use it the bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made david loves to tell god how awesome he is we should all be loving to tell god how awesome we are god thank you that you gave me brown hair i can turn into dreadlocks thank you god that you gave me an introverted self thank you jesus that you that you made my personality to be intellectual that you made me someone who thinks and researches and thank you that you gave me the emotional capacity of a t- because it's teaching me how to be compassionate it's teaching me how to love people better i mean he gives us everything we're not meant to be little clones of one another we're meant to be unique individuals god breathed and god inspired and i and 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 lewis carroll says something beautiful because i think sometimes we think that we're all when once you've gotten to know yourself once you're good but the truth is you're growing and changing literally every day at least i hope you are Lewis Carroll in Alice in Wonderland, he says, it's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. I think that's so true because yesterday you didn't have the revelation you had today. Yesterday you didn't have the same relationship with God you had today. Yesterday you didn't have the same relationship with your spouse, the same relationship with your sibling, the same relationship with your best friend, the same relationship with your coworker. You didn't have the revelations. You hadn't walked through the same things. You hadn't experienced the doubts, the fears, the insecurities, the triumphs, the, the victories, and, and the, the mountaintop experiences. You're constantly changing. So you should constantly be looking at yourself and being like, where have I grown? How have I changed? This is who I was. This is who I want to be. Who am I now? How do I get here? What do I need to take from back here and bring in to up here? And what do I need to leave back here? Because it's hindering me from here. And who am I now? And I think that's, that's it's so important. Um, our word courage is, I, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I, I discovered this while I was researching. Um, our word courage comes from um, core. And it's a Latin word. And it means, it actually means heart. And so courage is actually, it's original intent. It's now become a meaning for bravery and all that, but it it originally, it meant to speak one's mind by telling one's heart. And I think that's beautiful because you have to have courage to share who you truly are with other people and with God. You have to have courage. You have to have heart to be like, this is me. And guess what? Because you're part of the church, you got to love me as me. Yes, I'm growing. That doesn't give me a right to stay the same. That doesn't give me a right to keep hurting you. That doesn't give me the right to keep abusing you or being mean or rude or whatever. But you get to love me as I am, as I grow, as I change, as I morph, because I'm not the same person I was yesterday. I'm this person. And because we're in fellowship and because we're called to love God and love people, that means you love me as I am right now. So I can yell at you all now and you still have to love me when I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and it ultimately just comes down to identity you have to know your identity and so that's what I want to actually leave we, leave you with is your identity because when you deal with you and when you deal with the the burden and the baggage and the damage that's been to you, done to you because we all have trauma we all have things that have hurt us it doesn't matter what scale my my baggage might be here and it might be little and I can hold it in one hand and yours might be something you drag And it's 10 miles long, but it doesn't matter because God restores all things. And his desire is for you to be healthy and to be whole and to not have to deal with that. You don't have to keep dragging that. Even if it's this big, this big, that big, it doesn't matter. You're, you're meant to walk in the true identity of who you are. And when you know who you are, your relationships with God and your relationship with people is gonna change. And if you, you go to God and you say, God, I don't know who I am, reveal to me who I am, he's gonna tell you. And when you go to your friends and the people who know you well and the people you trust, not everyone, that's not healthy, just the people you know well and trust. And you ask them, who am I? What do you see in me? That's what's going to change you. That's what's going to grow your, your identity. And that's when you can start walking in all you are. And so if you struggle with identity, if you struggle with what God says about you or what the Bible says about you, then, I mean, find the verses, Google it. It's the easiest thing. And you can take verses on what the Bible says about you and about who you were made to be, who God has called you to be. And you say them over and over and over and over and over again to yourself until it's truth to you. Because you don't have to keep living the lies you're living. Because they're lies. You get to replace them with truth. You get to say, no, this is how I believed. I'm not going to believe this anymore. This is the truth. Until one day, you're just walking in truth. And the lies don't hold you back anymore. So take sticky notes, stick them in your bedroom, your bathroom, your car, your workstation, your cubicle, your schoolroom, I don't care where. But if you need to be reminded of who you are, write them down and take the, tr- take the lies, replace them with truth. Colossians says you are complete. Romans says you're free. Ephesians says you are holy. Philippians says you have the mind of Christ. Isaiah says you have no fear. Mark and Luke say you're powerful. Philippians again says you have perfect peace. First Peter says you are God's child. Ephesians says you're God's masterpiece. Philippians says you can do all things. Romans says you're more than a conqueror. And Peter says you're a chosen royalty, a, pre- a princess or a prince, a king or a queen, meant to rule and rain in life. And when your relationships with God, other people, and yourself are all in balance, that's when we're going to change the world. And that's when we're going to see those dreams and those passions and everything that's inside of you come to life is when you keep healthy, strong relationships in these areas. Amen.